That's why we yell out. That's why we scream out. That's why we get excited to call you holy. Not because of anything we've done. Our redemption, if we tried, would be worthless. But you are worthy, Lord. You are holy. Thank you for fathering us, for loving us, for sacrificing and dying for us, for coming back to conquer death so that we are no longer separated from you. That's something to get excited about, God, that we are forever with you because of the work of your son and because you love us. Father, may we love others like you love us. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Conduit Church. I'm Cortland. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I just want to read to you something uh, because while the band was playing this morning, this, this is on our, uh, for lack of a better term, our visitor card. But I just want to read this to you and see if it resonates where you are at now that you've sung these words. Conduit Church is a group of people committed to studying the Word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and responding with our lives. The concept is simple. We are to be a conduit of resources from a place with plenty to places in need. Speaking of the Holy Spirit that was yet to come, Jesus said, rivers of living water would flow from within us. John 7, 38. We seek to be conduits of his spirit through worship, fellowship, and as we carry his story and message to our neighbors and to the nations. I mean, we could go home now, right? Yeah, because that's who we are. That's how God has described us. That's our identity in him. His love in us causes us to love others. So for just a second, I want you to look down your aisle. Go ahead and look right, look left. Notice some of the folks, notice some faces, maybe you haven't seen them. And now, uh, for the lack of the sake of embarrassment, I just want you to introduce yourself to somebody right near you, and I want you to ask them one question. How can I be a conduit for you this week? That's all I want you to ask them, and listen. We're going to take just a couple minutes. Go ahead. Darren's already nervous. He's already moving around. It's okay. <laughs> Youth, I want you to do it too. Don't stand in the back. Come on up and ask somebody. How can I be a conduit for you this week? If it's going well, just go ahead and make plans for lunch after to go with them. If it's not, go ahead and sit down. That way I know we can move on. 
All is uh, better, almost all is well at the Phillips household. Caitlin has come home from college, her first year at college, and uh, we want to welcome her back. Caitlin, come on up here. We're going to talk to you for a second. Caitlin has a special project that is attached to a scholarship that uh, we as a family are going to support her in. Um, your preschoolers, uh, kids, if you have preschoolers, they're getting a message to take home. I kept the youth in here so they can remind you as well. Um, there is a food drive happening starting next week. Uh, we want you to bring some things, and Caitlin's going to give you the details. Hey, guys. Okay, so um, basically there's this food drive going on that's going to um, help the community and help me at the same time to get a scholarship for school next year. Um, basically, for every 10 items donated, it'll be another entry into a scholarship sweepstakes for me. It's called the Peanut Butter and Jam Slam. Um, you can Sweet. look it up online if you want to. Um, the deadline for me to collect is May 14th. And um, I think that's about Here's it. what's really cool about this, Caitlin, is that Shannon, who uh, my wife, who's actually in here, which is kind of awesome. I like, to look, I like to look at her. I like to look at all of you, but I really like to look at her. But... Uh, <laughs> This was a month where we were already going to be doing something for the children to be doing this anyway. And so Caitlin reached out and said, hey, the scholarship, like, hey, perfect. Caitlin gets to own this now. So, uh, so it just was one of those Holy Spirit moments. And I guess uh, next week on Mother's Day, your little peanuts will come in there with little, little red wagons and go up and down the aisles uh, and collect food. Okay. Right. Let's support Caitlin, let's, and let's do something great in our own county for people that are in need, uh, our own state that are in need, uh, and, it, and it gives our little ones a chance to be a part of it as well and to, to actually get to serve and to see it happen. So it's really just a win-win-win for everybody. So. And you just have to bring the food to me. I'm the one that's going to be taking it to the food bank. You don't have to worry about that. I just need to collect it all before May 14th. Well, good luck. <laughs> Uh, right now at Kroger, as of this morning, there's a, there's a couple of aisles of 10 for 10. Huh. There you go. 10 of them gets her an extra entry, right? Is that what I just heard? So make sure you swing by your local Kroger and pick those up today. Uh, we also have the uh, setups. Youth, you are dismissed. Thank you. I just wanted you guys to make sure you were on part of that so you can carry in the cans for next week. It's awesome <laughs> for your families. Uh, setup and teardown is still something we need help with, and the setup, we're not passing the clipboard today. Um, you guys have been doing a great job at that, by the way. They have been making really them all have. the way to the back, and uh, Joe's been picking them up. But we put them on the info table right outside the back door uh, this week, so uh, check there for that. Um, we also have Conduit Underground coming up on May 19th, so not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. And a lot of you have signed up for that. You should be hearing within this week from your... Uh, covert leader, your operative, your underground operative, and uh, they'll be telling you location, but they will not be sending it in writing in any way, shape, or form, so if the phone rings and you don't recognize the number, go ahead and answer it, Whoa. because that is the way they're going to tell you. It's going to be through phone, or they may stop by your house. Uh, Discover a Conduit starts tonight. This is, um, for lack of a better term, it's the kick the tires at Conduit. It's at Darren and Shannon's house. <laughs> kick the tires at Conduit. <laughs> say that. Well, that's what uh, they but were that's thinking. happening tonight. We have one spot open. One spot means a, a family or an individual. If you'd like to be a part of that, see Shannon right after so she can give you um, the, the details as far as it's from five to seven, but the address, how to get there, that kind of thing. 
Um, and uh, Father's Day is coming up. I know Mother's Day is next week, but we're doing something special for Father's Day. We're going to do some baby dedications on Father's Day. So if you are in the market, uh, and a lot of you have been, oh, matter man. of fact, this morning, the Bovee's meal calendar went up on the Conduit site. Uh, they had a baby this week. Um, so if you want to help with a meal calendar, go to uh, our, our page on Facebook, Conduit on Facebook, and uh, you can sign up for a meal calendar there. But we're going to do baby dedications on Father's Day. So just see me afterwards if you're interested in that. And then the last thing I want to tell you about is uh, I was talking to Jim this morning. We've got a number of kids going to youth camp this year. Uh, I think it's over, it's, it's over 20. I think it's 23, 24. Um, there's a couple that still need some help with sponsorship. We haven't talked about this in a little while. Um, some of you may remember Tony got up and he just said, hey, here's what's going on. Uh, we still need some help. So if today's the day that you'd like to write a check to help some of these kids go to camp, you can just drop it in the envelope that's at the end. It's at one end or the other end of your aisle. Mark on it, youth camp. What's the cost, Cortland? And drop that in the uh, tithe bucket that comes along uh, at the end of service. Cost, total cost is $200. Uh, it's four days, three nights, all kinds of fun and games. The kids are actually going to be, it sounds like we're building a fence uh, for the camp. That's why our price is discounted a little bit. Um, sweat equity. We, we, got some, <laughs> we got some fun things planned, and we just uh, need to, to wrap that up and, and make sure every kid can go that wants to go. And the last thing is, Jim wanted me to say that if you haven't got your deposit in, we're actually going to come back around for the full amount uh, in the next couple of weeks. So it would be awesome if you got your deposit in before your full amount was due. For those of you that are paying, um, that's, for, that's a note for me because <laughs> we haven't put our deposit in yet. But um, see Jim, see me, or uh, see Russ. Russ is over here. See Russ afterwards if uh, you need to talk to him. promotion for Russ. <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you need to talk about uh, summer camp and uh, what's going on with that. It's June 6th through the 9th are the days that the kids are going. And with that, Darren. Dude, Cortland, that was awesome. Thank you. Announcements are like everybody's least favorite part of church. <sighs> yeah. But we don't know how else to communicate because none of you check your email. <laughs> the Facebook used to be a great way to communicate, but that, you know, that's not anymore. So this is it. Yeah. Thank you. Cortland. By the way, Conduit Underground, especially if you're visiting this morning, if you show up here on that Sunday, we will not be here. And there's some great, and that's fine if you, if you don't want to do this. There's some, obviously, there's a lot of really great churches in the area, but we won't be here on that day. We're going to be meeting in 10 secret locations around this area. And the only way that you're going to know that is if we have you on a list. So if you're not already part of one of our Conduit communities, one of our small groups, we have to get your name then we can have your house church pastor contact you. The reason that we're doing it the way we're doing it is it's as close of a, as we can get to give you guys, to give me, to give my kids, our family, an experience of what the rest of the world experiences when they worship together. So they don't, if you're in Iran, you don't send a text message, hey, we're going to be meeting this weekend, because that's traceable, trackable, back to them. It's always done Verbally, you know, it's the old never say what you can write and never, well, no, never write what you can say and never say what you can imply. That actually is how that works in, the, uh, uh, in many of the global places. So there's some ground rules like that. Uh, we're going to gather in homes, in barns, in basements, 10 of them around the city. We did this last year, and to this day, we before or after have never had so many positive, proactive reach out to Darren. Man, that was killer we loved it god moved people got saved 
And I didn't say a word because that's the power of Jesus and decentralization. And so we're doing it again this year. So you're going to get the experience of what the rest of the world experiences, but I believe you're also going to get an experience that Jesus intended from the beginning because a decentralized church is hard to conquer, hard to defeat. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, not against me, this pastor, the CEO, whatever, but against the church and as we scatter and spread out. So I just wanted to give you a taste of it. And honestly, I mean, the, the power of the spirit moving in lives in those small groups were so, it was just so evident, the, the emails of prayer and the time and, you know, I, I can't remember, I said it, I think last week, but one of the families was like, well, we've been here, I guess we probably should get something to eat. And next thing you know, like four or five hours later, and it wasn't like, oh, I can't believe this, I gotta get home, I gotta go. They wanted to be with each other and it was just a taste of it. And so that's May 19th. Uh, and if you have not, where's that clipboard again? Where will it be? Back on the info table, right on the the info table right outside the door. If you're interested in this and being a part of it, and by the way, in one of these 10 groups, someone, somebody's leader will get arrested. We won't tell you ahead of time who, but we will send in uh, and someone, someone's leader will be pulled out right in the middle of your group and then just see what the Holy Spirit does with you uh, in that. And, and we're gonna, uh, by the way, we're gonna be mindful if there's a lot of small kids in it, the problem is last year, what I didn't think through was that we had a mother-in-law in town. <laughs> we specifically chose this family because their kids were grown and whatever and thought that'll be, you know, and mother-in-law's like, <laughs> like, no, no, we're just playing, we're just kidding. Um, May 19th, so if you would open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. We have uh, been taking the scenic route Revelation. It is not a hard book to understand. And I don't have time to review this morning, but if you want to get a good overview of Revelation in general, if you go to conduitchurch.com, find the podcast link there, the very first Revelation introduction, I did kind of a, a flyover of it, and it, I feel it gave us a pretty good grasp of the book as a whole, but we've come to what will be the end of the, this, this section, this group of letters to these seven churches with this church called Laodicea. It was a city that was a little different than the others in this because it was, if you remember right, it was, there were cities that were uh, defensible because of cliffs and the geography, but Laodicea was not that way. If you were to look at it from Google Earth, you can see even today that it was very flat not defensible at all. Like it was very, very vulnerable to attack. And history says that the way that Laodicea survived through all of that was really quite simple. When they knew that a culture, a people would come to, uh, to, to war against them, to, that they would learn of their culture and then they would just accommodate them and blend in with them and mix it up a little bit and bring it uh, peace in a way through compromise. A city that you, you could see, I mean, there's plenty of uh, ways to get, it, uh, to get in this city. There's no natural cliffs. If anything, it sits down in a valley. And so this city would defend itself by simply saying, hey, th this group of people is coming. Well, we want to be more like them, and then they won't ransack our city. It was famous for another reason, and that is, 
Well, actually, if you go back here, I was going to try to show you on the map, but I don't have it ready to show you. It was famous because of some aqueducts. You can go there today, modern-day Turkey, and see aqueducts. From one direction in a city called Hierapolis, it was up the mountain a little bit, and they were famous. Have you been to Hot Springs, Arkansas? Don't raise your hand if you have. I mean, it's okay. Uh, Arkansas. All due respect to my Arkansans, Arkansanians. Hot Springs were in Hierapolis, and they would pipe water in from Hierapolis to get hot water to Laodicea. Five to six miles long, and again, you can see them today. They're still there. For reasons that nobody really understood, uh, understand even to this day, was nobody did the math that when hot water would leave Hierapolis, five to six miles later, it was perfectly lukewarm. I just got back from Haiti a few days ago, and I love hot showers. I don't remember who it was that invented it. It might have been Edison, I don't, but I'm sure that there's a special place in heaven for the guy of, uh, for hot water and Freon. Those would be the two things that I really feel like that Jesus really uh, would smile upon. But it was lukewarm by the time I got there from Hierapolis. On the other side was a city called Colossae, from where we would get the book Colossians that Paul wrote. In fact, he actually mentions Laodicea to the church at Colossae, chapters 1 and again in chapters 4, and, and says, hey, send this letter over to them as well so they could read this. And Colossae, it was the other way around. It was freezing cold, like uh, rocky mountain water. And they built aqueducts from Colossae to Laodicea. And again, for reasons nobody really understood, nobody really did the math and calculated that that ice-cold water would be perfectly lukewarm by the time it got there. It was famous also for the fact that entertainment ruled supreme in this city. Amphitheaters everywhere, huge amphitheaters. And of course, in the Roman Empire, there are amphitheaters obviously in every city, but Laodicea had a very special place because it had a lot of amphitheaters, a lot of entertainment going on. And, and you're thinking, if you're, especially if you're visiting, hey, I didn't come for a history lesson, but you're in school, so I'm sorry. Uh, no. Jesus ties all this into this letter, in, in my opinion, in Laodicea, more, po more poignantly than any of them. At least in my heart, it really speaks in the way that all of this tied together with this city, with the church, and with what it represents, I believe, in our modern church. It was famous because of its banking. It was a very, very wealthy city. In AD 66, a giant earthquake rocked this area, destroyed the city almost completely, and Laodicea, unlike the other cities in the area, rejected any money from Rome. Rome offered just like a good government, whatever it would do, but they said, no, we've got it handled, and they financed their entire reconstruction because they were wealthy enough. Part of the reason they were wealthy was because of the textile industry. They were famous for a sheep. Remember Baba Black Sheep? Have you any wool? Yeah. <laughs> it's true though, right? It has nothing to do with this. But it's black sheep that would create a specific kind of wool. There was, you didn't have to dye it. So the, this black uh, wool made them extraordinarily wealthy as a city. It would also be famous because of an eye salve that was created there. Aristotle speaks about it as well in his writings. And they would take this oil and this uh, coliander seed, I think it's what it's called, 
coriander. Get the oil lady, she knows. Crush it, and it was an ice. Edie is the oil lady, by the way. Anointing with oil. Famous for ISAV, ophthalmology that was born in this city. And what I love about everything that this city is famous for is that I believe that it speaks not only perfectly to the church that existed there, it speaks, as you've heard me say, I believe prophetically of church ages throughout history, epics in church history. And I believe it speaks to us in something that started in around 1920. A thing called, you may have not heard of it, it's not talked about a lot, but this thing called higher criticism started in in the 1920s. The the church of uh, the evangelical movement, the missionary movement was blowing it up and going strong in the 1900s. But in the 1920s in Europe, this thing called higher criticism, this idea, this sort of condescending thing of, well, maybe, you know, maybe Moses didn't write all five of the Pentateuch. Maybe, maybe Isaiah, it wasn't just a guy named Isaiah. It was three different authors in three different sections, and they were all written uh, in historical backwards, and so it wasn't prophetic. It was historical, and, and this modern thinking, this secular thinking began to unfold. Never mind that most of it was in the past few decades undone when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered through papyrus experts And never mind that you can't even say that I follow Jesus and believe this because Jesus quoted all three sections of Isaiah as if it were the same guy. Because it was. There was a man named Isaiah who wrote the entire book. And higher criticism suggested maybe not. And this modern movement of secularism and modern art would be born in this time frame where uh, you know, where you know, you go to the, the, the museum, and if this is your type of art, I apologize in advance, but when it looks like that my kid could have done it by throwing paint against the wall, and we stand there and just, oh, wow, it blows me away. But if it's, it's, it's abstract, it's, it's weird, you know, and, it, and it's, no, no offense to that, again, I'm not really bashing it, but it, what it spoke was, art before that was very literal. Bob Ross on, you know, PBS style. Literal, that's a tree, and it looks like a tree, because I painted a tree. I didn't slap paint on the wall and call it a tree. But what was happening, and interestingly enough, in the society was that as that modern movement was being born and abstract was being born, it was a question of, well, is there really, you know, truth? Is there, you know, we, we can't be sure? And, which would then give birth to what, if you've heard this phrase, postmodernism, which is unfolding in our society today, which takes the modern idea of that it's abstract, there's really no such thing as truth and right and wrong, and how can I know that you're right, and, you know, and, and Oprah will talk about your truth and my truth and Deepak and the whole, because we just don't, it's your truth and this is my truth, and Pontius Pilate would ask, what is truth to Jesus? And of course, Jesus, in the book of John, is recorded, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is such a thing as truth. There's such a thing as, if I say the sky is blue, that isn't my truth. It's actually true, because it is blue, unless it's like today, which is semi-gray, one of the 50 shades. (laughs) I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. (laughs) I've spent 36 hours with my family, and I'm a little punchy. (laughs) 
my Nebraska family. I was raised by coyotes in Nebraska, and we <laughs> get together. And <laughs> you think I'm kidding. From this was born this idea of a truth seeker, the, the idea of I want to, I can't be sure of your truth, and you can't be sure of mine, and so this postmodern thing happens, and, and I believe that in this letter that he speaks to that, I believe in the way that that has now crept into our church, as is often the case throughout history. Ideas that were started in the secular realms would seep into the church and begin to change the way that we do things, the way that we talk, the way that we live. And he would say in verse 14, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, and if you're a Bible student, I don't believe this is an accident. Every other letter, it says the church at, the church at Smyrna, the church at Sardis. He says, this is the church of the Laodiceans. I believe Jesus is saying, this is not my church. My name is not on this door. But he'd say to them that the church of the Laodiceans, these things say the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. The amen, which means so be it. Truth. I am that, the way, the truth, and the life. Saying to this church, saying to conduit, saying to me individually, that there is such a thing as truth. Him. He is it. And where I have gotten sideways in the years of my life have been when I've tried to water it down to, quote, reach more people. Because I thought that my goal was to make them feel better. My goal was to reach them. And if they were irritated or ticked off or then I didn't want it, then I feel like I wasn't in love. Never mind that love rejoices in truth. But I would just begin to water it down to the point where I, I feel like we're friends, so I can say this. I worked in an industry called Christian music. And there's nothing wrong. I've, there's, oh man, there are so many great people in this world. But what happens is, and it's easy to sit and throw rocks Let's, let's, throw, uh, let's talk about the, the local station. Uh, positive and encouraging, that's the goal. When you hear the, the, the ads in between, we want to give you positive and encouraging and uplifting. That sounds awesome. Who doesn't want that? But sometimes, what I don't need is positive and encouraging and uplifting. I need a swift kick in the rear end. But, and it's again, throw rocks at them all day long, but here's why they do it. You and I are complicit. If you are a radio station, for instance, that survives on donations, and I don't like what you're saying, I don't have to listen. I can just turn the channel. And sometimes I do. And what's a challenge then, if you're the program director, is then you say to the artists, well, this is the kind of music we need, and so then... The artists are sitting in a room and they're going to write music that they're, they're feeding their families. They're trying to uh, take care of their children and their wives and, and at the same time reach people themselves. I, I was in this for 18 years and I, I'm not here to throw any of it under the bus. But the danger was is that I mixed commerce and the gospel. 
Because if I needed to get paid for it, think about capitalism. It is a great, capitalism is a great financial institution. It is a terrible gospel vehicle. Because that means that you have to pay me for something that I'm going to sell you. And the challenge becomes that you don't have to buy anything you don't want. And if you don't want to hear this, you don't have to. And the band gets to stay home this week. And I don't know the answers to this as we live in this society, but what I'm saying is that we're all complicit in this. It isn't the lead singer or the, the Christian rock band. It isn't the program director. It isn't, it's all of us. It is every church in America. Because there isn't a pastor in this country that doesn't have this conversation in his head of, if, if I say this, I might tick them off. And you know what will happen if you get ticked at me? You just go somewhere else. Because you can, because we're a free country, and it's an option. And it, being totally transparent, that I struggle with that often. Oh, I don't know if I can say that or not. What if it makes them mad? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and we, I do my best to rest in that, to say that it, the, the truth, the yes and the amen, that our goal as a church, that when I'm bringing the word on a Sunday, which is, by the way, just a minor part of your Christian walk, this is like 3% of your Christian walk. The rest of it is living out Sunday through Saturday. But when I'm bringing the word, my job isn't to make you feel better. My job is to bring the truth. And if it happens to be a day and a word that you needed and it's uplifting, that's in there. Yes, that's absolutely in the word. There are promises and amazing things in the word. They're all over it. So are all who are godly in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, that's no fun to preach on. To suffer trials as if they are disciplined from the Lord. Ugh, that doesn't look good on a three-by-five card on my mirror. <laughs> the job is the truth, not to make you feel better. And what happened in Laodicea, what I believe has happened in our society, specifically in our churches, has been an idea that when I've mixed commerce and the gospel. If you leave and we've got a big mortgage on our church, I can't afford to have you leave. There are consultants that'll sit in a room and refer to you as, a, as giving units. You need X amount of giving units in your church in order to make this happen. They will tell you, if you have this many people, we'll come in with a clipboard and we'll tell you, oh, this is, uh, we can raise this much money because this is the average thing in your, uh, in your average income in your church and we'll know how to ring it out of them this way. They wouldn't use the word ring it out, but that's what they're saying. And then all of a sudden you start having meetings with these guys come in and they you know, talk to you about the thing and plant roots or whatever. And, and again, none of this is inherently a wicked thing. It's just that when the, the, the challenge and the fear and the, the slope that we slide on is once I'm hooked on that, then I need you in a way that I didn't need you before. I need you to make the mortgage. And that's a scary place to be. And my prayer is that we never get there. As a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're not attached to a, a thing, this entity that we're feeding money into, but we're attached to Jesus because then I can be honest with you. One of the things that we tried to be in the, in the music world was honest with our clients. It was good to start with artists who had been brand new, who no one had ever heard of, who 
when I'm sitting here today. But we, we felt like we could be honest with them. They could be honest with us. They'd never been in the music business before. They just thought that's how it worked. The Everybody in the back lounge right now, we're going to talk. They thought that's how it worked. And they could be honest with us. Hey, you're really sucking at this. That's true. But honest and truth. And so in that kind of a relationship, I believe builds longevity, long past whether it's a client, because we now have a relationship. You know, I, I feel like with, uh, with Amber and your sisters, who I think are here, Julia, sorry, and Adam, who's here with Sharon today, that we're going to be friends long past we were ever working together because it was a friendship that formed not just a financial arrangement. And I want that of you and I as well. That's why I can sit down and if you decide that the Lord is moving you to another church, even in this community, that if you see me at Walmart, it isn't going to be weird. Not for me anyway. Because I don't need you like that. I love you like I strive to love you like Jesus does. That's the goal. I fall short of it every day. But there's no hook in you other than a, a nudge towards Jesus. And the church at Laodicea, remember? Laetin, Nicolaetin, Laetin, Laetie. Decia is where we would get our word democracy. This is a church that was ruled by the people. I'm not saying like in an EV free thing or where the people vote or it was a, like a, a financial relationship ruled by the people that if I'm making decisions based upon whether or not I can get money to feed the beast, I'm falling into the trap of Laodicea, letting the people rule because I can't tell you the truth anymore. I can only tell you what makes you feel better that makes you want to keep coming back and put butts in the seats. Don't get me wrong. I love it when your butt is in the seat. I mean that in the best possible sense of the phrase. But not for your money, no. I don't look at reports at who gives what. I don't want to know. I don't want to book my meetings based upon, oh, they're giving a lot or this person didn't give any. I don't know. I don't care. No, that's not true. I do care. That's why I don't know. Because I, I fear the Lord enough to not want to know. The church of the Laodiceans. Boy, we got off on that one, didn't we? These are the things. Says the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Wow. The beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. They're neither hot nor cold. Interesting, isn't it, that the aqueducts that came into that city ended up with hot water coming in, cold water coming in, and by the time it came to the city, it was lukewarm. I had a conversation actually with Adam last week after church. I wonder why, he said, why do, you know, what, would it be that God would will, that I wish that you were one or the other. Why wouldn't he just wish that we were hot? I've chewed on that all week, and believe me, I had a lot of time to chew on that driving through the feedlots of Kansas getting home. If you are hot, Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, he spoke to the disciples, and it says that after they left, it says that didn't our hearts burn within us? If you're hot, Peter on the day of Pentecost, fire on his head, the Holy Spirit burning on him. If you're hot, he can mold you and shape you. If you're cold, he can break you. Paul, pretty cold. And what did Jesus do? He knocked him down and broke his heart into a million pieces because he was cold. But when you're lukewarm, 
he, you, you're just rubber at that point. You're bendable, but you've been right back the way that you came. I wish you were hot or cold, because then I could do something with you. But when you're lukewarm, I can't get my thumb on you. And he says that because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Almost like those, if you've ever had, uh, you've been, or maybe your kids have eaten something they shouldn't have, and they give them those pills, and it's just the, just candy apple vomit, just that's what, that's the idea that he's communicating here. You know, we talk about the hot coffee being, we did that last week, and it's lukewarm, and but go to the, how many of you like the ice cream sandwiches? Right, they're nice. But they're not nice when they're lukewarm. Yuck. A big old tall glass of warm and refreshing milk. There are things in our world and our psyche that should be hot or should be cold. And you put it in your mouth, it changes your life. And this is what he's, the idea that he's, I believe, communicating to us, that I, I just wish you were one or the other because I could work with you. Because you say, I am rich and I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. A city that was famous for banking. We have more money in the modern day church just in the last probably three decades than the entire church history combined. Because you were rich. I was having this conversation with the pastor I grew up with this past week. We've had the most well-funded youth ministry in history in the last 20 years alone. Multi-million dollar facilities popping up in Dallas and Grand Rapids, Tulsa, and 70% of our kids are walking away from the Lord still because it wasn't about the show, the entertainment of Laodicea, because they can get that anywhere, frankly, better. So I become like the fat kid in gym class. You know, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me, which I was. I still am out of something in gym class. But that's the picture of it. If you were ever picked last, you know, in the growing, I don't know if they still do that where they line up the kids against the wall and publicly humiliate you by picking teams. It always come down to me and Lori Pearson. And they'd pick me second to last because we'll, we'll pick Tyler, at least he's funny. Lori's got germs, so. It's true, they said that about us. But that, I've become that. I'm the guy, just please pick me. I'm the, that's not the position Jesus wanted to be in. Getting down to my level to try to compete on my thing. It was, it's, he's so much more than that. So much grander than that. That it's not about us lowering to the level of entertainment that the world has to offer. It's raising ourselves to the level of what God has promised his offer wasn't to come and get it like the dinner bell rang. It was to come and follow me. His offer was for transformation, not titillation. To redeem you. Not just to entertain you. And the power of a transformed life, the world cannot compete with that. If you are a speaker, a musician, a person that is in the world or you manage those Listen to me, you can't compete with the things that they are selling on that world stage. What we have, though, is the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, and I promise you that no Backstreet Boys reunion can compete with that. Because the show, is, it comes and goes. 
The Holy Spirit is a transformation over a lifetime. And if you compete on that level, you're not competing at all. You're just bringing the word. You're bringing the Holy Spirit. And listen to me. I believe this is a Joyce Meyer phrase, but you can't live pitiful all week long and try to be powerful on the weekends. This is a lifestyle transition, and it is just an overflow of that into your life. And that is true at your work. That is true on a stage. That is true when you're standing on the fence next to your neighbor's yard. That if you're the entirety of your Christian experience came from a Laodicean thing where I'm just here to get my thing on Sunday and then I'm getting back to my regular life, what you've done is you've shut off the faucet. Jesus in John 7 said that rivers of living water would flow from within us. But when I shut off the hose, the source is gone. And as long as I keep it on and keep giving to my, the word to my friends, to my neighbors, and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through me, as long as I do that, he will keep it flowing. And the beautiful thing is, it's almost like he gives to me in my right hand, I give away. Oh, wait. My left hand gives away in my right hand. And my needs are met on the way through. Everything I need in an aqueduct is met on the way through. The aqueduct's needs are already met. He said to them that, you thought you're rich, but you're really just wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. One of the things I love about traveling internationally is, in America, I can, if I'm, <laughs> here's the thing, we all stand before the throne, we all stand before Jesus in the exact same condition, wretched, blind, poor, naked, in need of a savior, but in America, I can afford to mask it. I can afford to medicate it. I can afford to hide it. In Haiti, in Africa, in India, and in so many places around the world, they can't afford to do anything about it. So they, they're, they're like Sardis, these other churches, they're all in the same boat. But Laodicea didn't know it because they were masking it with the provision they had. They were medicating it. They were taking synthetic and then the Lord wasn't transforming their lives. You know what it is, especially if you've been around. I know we've got a lot of people, holistic healers and health food people in here, and you know that treating the symptoms isn't curing the disease. All that does is mask them until they pop back up again. That's Laodicea. The gospel was meant to transform you, not entertain you. So what do we do? How do we not be that? How do we become individually? I don't want to say the church like it's some ethereal thing. It's us. It's you and it's me. How do we? If, if you're in a spot where you feel like you're cold today or if you feel like, man, I'm a little lukewarm here today, what advice could you give me? And I can't give you any, but Jesus can. He says that I counsel you. You don't have to go to a counselor for this one. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Gold refined in the fire. If you've got your Bible, you just maybe make a note and you could go there later. But 1 Peter 1, 7, he talks about what that means, that your faith is like gold refined in fire, speaking specifically of the trials and the persecution that they were experiencing as a church. He said to them that this thing is refining you like gold. And maybe you remember this in that day of antiquity that when they would smelt the gold, that the way that the smelter knew that it was ready, that the was maximum purity, was he would be able to look in this pot, this whatever those things are called that suddenly I cannot remember. 
vat. Just go with it. And see himself. And see his reflection. These trials and tribulations in our lives, and, and I want to clarify something. I, I've, over the decades, especially in America, you hear it this way. When it speaks of trials and tribulations, it speaks of, well, it's cancer or it's uh, relationship trouble. And, and look, it's above my pay grade to know if that is what he's talking about or not, or if, it, if that fits, if that's... But here's the thing, that's not what he was talking about in context. It's always about context. Once you take the text out of context, you're left with a con. In context, he was talking about the persecution they were experiencing. The pressures and the things that were happening. He's saying, as that is closing in around, you know that I love you enough that I'm using this thing that the enemy meant for harm. I love you enough. I'm not going to take you out of it because it's driving out the impurities in you. This past week in our society, there was this thing that unfolded of the military deciding that or making a statement of a policy that had long been in place. And, and then you begin to see it unfold on, uh, on, on the blogosphere where a lot of Christian bloggers are like, they, they will talk about it condescendingly about, well, they didn't really say this. And so it's all confusing. But what they said was that if you were to uh, proselytize, that it is, uh, that's against the rules. You could, for, you could face court-martial. I, I emailed Jordan Seculo about this because I wanted to get some input from him as to what, because I saw the statement that when the military came back and, and uh, responded to it, they, they sort of backed off of what they were saying. And again, that's where a lot of the, the bloggers were up there. See, you, you Christians are just paranoid and you're. But look what he said here, though. This was what Jordan said. And this is what I had noticed in it in my email to him that they, they say, yeah, you can share your faith unless it makes somebody uncomfortable. The statement had so many holes in it, so you could drive a semi through the holes in the statement that allows for a law that maybe not today, but in, in the future, would be used. Hitler used many, many existing laws that were already in place. He didn't have to make up new ones. They were already there. He just had to cook them a little bit. But saying that, if you share your faith and it makes somebody uncomfortable, if it's unwanted, then you could... You could be reported. You could be punished for it. What was more disturbing than anything was that the guy that brought this all up, this guy named Mikey Heinemann, I think is his last name. This is what he wrote. These were words extrapolated from a blog that he wrote. You can Google him. I think it's Mikey Heinemann. I'll put it on Facebook later in case I'm getting his name wrong. Weinstein. Mikey Weinstein. It sounds like a fake name. Hey, little Mikey Weinstein. This is, these are words extrapolated out of the, his blogs written. This is a guy that is a, an advisor to the military on Christianity and all matters of faith. He refers to evangelical Christians, i.e. you, as a monstrosity, as a bigot, evil, fundamentalist Christ, uh, creatures and their spiritual heirs, bandits, stenchful substances, their ruinous Unity is the bane of human existence and progress. That's the guy sitting at the table with our military making, uh, advising them on how to deal with Christians. This past year in, the, in, the, in, in England, 
of several different trials made it to their Supreme Court. A lady was fired from British Air for wearing a cross. She sued them and made it all the way to their Supreme Court. Keeping in mind that I've flown British Air, I've seen stewardesses, stewardesses, flight attendants. It didn't feel right coming out. I'm like, I don't think that's right. (laughs) Wearing hijabs. So for some reason, the cross was offensive, but not this. And and I I could go on. (laughs) The case in, in this was another one in England of of a counselor who said that he might have trouble counseling a gay couple in his practice was fired because of that and it was upheld in, in their courts there because and, and, that, and by, by the way with what I'm reciting now actually came from a, a blog on Telegraph like a very liberal paper in England saying that Christianity is the new uh, has replaced Judaism as the most hated religion in the world and then she begins to back it up pretty compellingly And my question then is, in America, as it's coming in now, what do we do about it? What, what, what is my job, what is your job to do? Because I'll be honest, it kind of ticks me off. It makes me angry. I believe it's in, uh, is it Ecclesiastes where it talks about the little foxes that spoil the grapes? You've got to be careful of the little ones that get in you. and You've got to be careful of the little foxes in our heart that would come in, the fox news that'll come in and steal your grapes. I say that because I agree with much of what would be said on a network like that, but that's the problem. Because I just sit around agreeing with it and being mad. And he said that the answer isn't to get mad. He says, I counsel you to do this because it's going to refine your faith. It's going to build you into who I've created. The very thing the enemy wanted to use to destroy you, I'm going to use for your good. And then he would go on to say, though, in Revelation 3, that what I would counsel you to do is not only buy the gold refined in the fire, that you might be rich, but that you would buy white garments to maybe clothe, that the shame of your nakedness might be revealed. When the fire is coming down around me, then what I can know for certain is that God can use it, will use it, does use it. Should we speak out? Yes. We're in this school because we spoke out. They said no, but the Supreme Court said, and for as long as it lasts, we don't know how long, they said that we could meet in a school like this. And so what happened was a a government bureaucrat said no, and we said no, that's not. And what Paul did when he appealed for his rights to Rome said, I, I'm appealing to, for this is right, uh, this is my rights, and appealed for them. But here's the thing, Paul appealed to his rights to Rome, and what did it get him? Dead. We appeal our rights to Rome, to the government, knowing that God might have a plan that's a little different than mine. That the response I might get from them isn't the one I'm looking for, but that's okay because the goal isn't the one I'm aiming for. The goal is not to get my country back to being a Christian nation. By the way, FYI, that battle is lost. It's over. It has been. Our goal is not to build our kingdom on earth, but to preach his kingdom come, metaphorically and literally. 
And he would say here that we could be clothed with white garments. What are the white garments? Romans 9, uh, Revelation 19.8. Always the best way to interpret the Bible is let the Bible interpret the Bible. In Revelation 19.8, it says that they were gathered around the throne. The church was gathered around and they were clothed in the righteous act of the saints. Not the imputed righteousness, the imparted righteousness. We, are, we stand righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the imputed righteousness that we're giving, the right standing, justification. But there are righteous acts that we can do, and that is what we are clothed in. And you might be saying, hey, but Darren, doesn't Isaiah 44, 6 say that your righteousness is just filthy rags? Again, the context of it was talking to Jerusalem at a specific time in history. And I believe the prophetic part is that we are clothed in Jesus. When I stand before him, it is his righteousness that makes me righteous. But there is another set of clothes in my wardrobe, and that is the righteous acts of the saints. What are those? Again, the Bible, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Matthew 25, 37, he says that he's gathered them around on that day, separating the sheep and the goats. You remember this passage? And it says, and the righteous said unto him, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we visit you when you were in prison? And he said, you know this passage well. When you've done it for the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. The righteous acts of the saint on that day, those I believe is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25. When we started Conduit as a little Bible study, I was a little startled by that whole thing because I didn't even know anybody that knew anybody that was you know, poor and widows. And I didn't, I didn't even know where to start, so I didn't do anything. And I'm happy to tell you that today, six years later, I stand here knowing many, many, many people, starting with me, who is poor and blind and naked, clothed only in the righteousness of Jesus, imputed righteousness, and the righteous acts that, I, not out of guilt, but out of grace that I get to do to the brothers and sisters around me. And if you're physically poor and in poverty now on this side of heaven, you say, I can't do that. I want you to know you can isn't even just money. It's visiting him in prison. It's, it's not doing nothing. He says that that's the way to get your temperature on your heart up. The fire of persecution. The righteous acts of doing for the least of these brothers of mine. And we're coming in for a landing. He says that you would put salve on your eyes that you might see. The only place I know of in the New Testament where I've seen Jesus use eye salve was in John when a blind man came. And what, do you remember the salve he used? Spit and mud. And guess what? That would have been a little annoying and a little irritating in his eyes. Because it says that when he says, now go to the pool of Siloam and wash it out, I would have hightailed it. You just spit in my eye. That is so gross. I mean, ugh. Listen. Illumination comes from irritation. And here's what I mean. I can now see clearly not what you're doing wrong, but why I'm responding so poorly to it. When that salve is in my eye, it heals and I'm going not to, I didn't go anyplace else, but to the water to wash it out, the water of the word. It reveals in me when, I'm, when we're bumping into each other, when I let you down this week, it's an opportunity for mud in your eye, for the salve to wash it out a little bit, to say, oh, that's a part of my life I need to do. I need to work on that. 
Why does God allow all that? Because it does. I get to see better where I have areas that I need to work on when you let me down and why I'm responding so poorly. It's the salve of the Holy Spirit of that irritation of that oil and seeds rubbed in your eye. It would have been irritating. You got I just got to wash it out. And don't go wash it out to your neighbor. You know what I'm saying? Let the Holy Spirit water wash it out. Not my water of talking bad about you behind your back or vice versa, speaking hateful things. Let the water of the word wash it out so that I can be illuminated where I have to work on in my life. And as I'm doing these things, it raises the temperature of my heart to hot. And when it is hot, Jesus can mold and shape me into whatever he needs me to be. He would say that as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore repent. The last thing that an unbeliever wants to hear is repent. The last thing I want to hear is repent. The last thing you want to hear is repent. It's not commercially viable. There's no money in it. Repent just simply means to change your mind. The way that I've thought about this, I need to be thinking differently about it. And he gives us a pretty good playbook here to work on in our lives. I I was asking a couple guys here this morning, can you find any scriptures where they actually prayed for persecution in scripture? There are people in China right now praying for you. And you know what they're praying? That you'll get persecuted. They're praying for the persecution not to stop there. Because it's making them hot. And when you are getting, you see what's happening on TV, when you see what's happening on the news, and it ticks you off, don't go and buy raiment that you can afford with your, I'm going to take it over, you know, whatever. Go buy the righteous white linen, righteous acts of the saints. Go and do unto the least of these brothers of mine. Peter said that that's the way in 1 Peter 2, that that's the way you shut up the talk of crazy men is with your good works. As a church, I want us all to be involved in that individually, corporately. We do it corporately really well, but individually, the the fire of persecution boiling us to the spot where we're moldable, that that what he's molding in there, the impurities are coming out, the eyes have so that I can see clearly, and that when I hear him knocking on the door of my heart that I got no problem swinging it open because I got nothing left to lose. As, the, as our uh, worshipers come back, I, I would love to, um, I'd love you to have a moment this morning. A moment of, illumination in your life, in my life. That we're not complicit anymore in the commercialization and the bastardization of the gospel. Where am I complicit in it? As a church, as a pastor, am I not telling you the truth because I'm afraid it's going to make you mad? Am I freaking out because the numbers are low? And they've been low. Or is that God saying, eh, you know what, you needed it to be low because you need to get your head screwed on straight and remember who your source is. 
Now, that didn't make me feel very good in the moment, but it does in the long term because it's a reminder. It's a reminder when I look back over six years of a, of a Bible study, three years of a church that we've never lacked. We've never missed a payment. We've never been, we've never been late on rent. We've, you know, he's always provided. What am I freaking out for? My eyes are being illuminated. He's putting salve in him. He's spitting in my eye. And I can run to the word and say, oh, because he provides all of my needs in Christ Jesus. And my prayer for us is I, I, I pray, sorry, that we're going to get persecuted as a church. Because I believe it's going to take your temperature up. I believe, let me, let me say this. I actually, the reason I was asking about it is, is in the words. I believe that it's not in the word that you see somebody praying for it because it was implied. All who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You don't have to pray for it. It's coming anyway. And if you're not being persecuted, might be a reason. You might need the smelter to stir it up a little bit so he can see his reflection in, in you. Maybe. might need to put on some white raiment. Maybe there's a friend in your life or a, and look, and if you don't know somebody that's in need, I promise you, I know about a hundred of them. So come to me. If you're saying, I want, I want some white raiment on today. I, I can lead you. A family in need in our church right now where their car broke down. Can't get to work. There's, you know, it's, you know how that is. It's horrifying. And that might be you today. Come to me. I don't know. We'll just let the Holy Spirit lead, but there's need all around you if you'll just allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. And you're waking up in the morning. With the, what is the, where does the Holy Spirit want me to aim the hose today? I loved what Jim said last week about the sandwiches thing. Because all of a sudden we institutionalize it. And we're gonna, now we're going to do 20 sandwiches, 100 sandwiches. And I've started this worldwide you know, galactic ministry with flags and the whole thing. And he just wanted him to go that day and, and give some sandwiches. What, is, what, what are your sandwiches this week? Would you pray as we worship and, and repent and change your mind? And we have communion here, we've got communion here. What better way than to remember the imputed righteousness? Remember that the guy that said, follow me, wasn't just a guy, it was God become flesh. And our two choices, I believe David Platt said it this way, are either to turn and run or bow down. Those are your options. My prayer today is that you would bow down and the best way to I believe is the way that Jesus said, remind yourself, do this often. So the communion is available. There are going to be offering buckets coming in front of you. As a church, we continue to, with, the, with our partnership, with our mission, to, to, you know, I was just in Haiti. I've seen the schools. I've seen the kids, the food that we've, we're $13,900 towards land for, the, for an elementary school sitting in the mission account right now. We're $27,000 short, but we're going there. The, the money is almost in for the Bible Institute. To, there's places where you can, and these are for the poor and the, 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 uh, the, the widows and the orphans that are being served through this church. If this is where the Lord leads you to, there's going to be a bucket come by. And we have, obviously, expenses here locally that we do. Oh, gosh, we try so hard to keep them as low as we possibly can. That's why your chairs are so uncomfortable. So that bucket comes by. Maybe that's part of your repentance. Maybe you've been hoarding and you've been buying for yourself salve at the dollar general store trying to mask your pain a dollar at a time maybe you need to bring some of that and leave it with Jesus this morning and buy white raiment that way that's not a thus saith the Lord it's just that maybe the Lord speaks to you 
but those buckets are coming by. There are, what I'm getting at is there are multiple opportunities for you to worship and to repent this morning. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, what I'm asking you, what I'm begging you not to do is to leave here not looking into your own heart and seeing which of those ideas, where, where is my lukewarmness right now and how can I turn up the temperature, allow the Father to heat it up a little bit and then like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in that fire, there was another guy, and he said he looked like the son of God, because he was, says he's turning up the heat this morning. Jesus wants you to, when he's knocking on the door of your heart, he's looking for you to turn the thermostat up a little bit. He wants it hot in your heart. God, would you show us and reveal to us and speak to us this morning? And I say us, I mean me. Where is it that I can turn up the heat? What... Why is the persecution not more here? What, what, what are we not doing right? What is it, Lord, the, the white raiment that you would have me to put on today? And Lord, what, who spit in my eye this morning and what is that illuminating in my heart? Lots of questions that you're asking us today and I just pray that it, each of us would get that rhema word in our heart this morning of, of what you want from us. And I'm asking this in your name. It's in the nature of who you are and what you've done for us. So be it. Amen. You guys stand with us. And ushers, if you'll wait a couple of minutes here, just give, some, give a moment before we start passing the buckets and have that expression of our worship. Just for you guys just to kind of just focus and just kind of chew on those words that Darren just said. We get this amazing opportunity to give as an expression of our worship. We get this amazing opportunity to take communion and reflect on what Christ did for us on the cross. And I don't want that to be something that we do very lightly. It's something that, you know, it's a big deal. So often in the church, we do stuff so quickly that sometimes there's not that time to process. So you guys just wait a couple seconds and we'll be good to go. But let's, uh, let's sing this song together.
John 9 and the blind man and Jesus spitting in the mud and putting that in his eyes and sending him to the pool to wash. Jesus, when he reached out to people and spoke truth into their life, he always met them where they were. And when we hear a word as a family that maybe... um, Well, one, we need to hear, but two, that may be a little bit of an irritant. Know that Jesus at the end of chapter nine, after the guy gets called before the Pharisees and after he gets persecuted, Jesus meets him outside of the synagogue in the streets. And in that moment, he's saved. Jesus goes to him and loves him after he's cast out of the church because they said, that guy's from the devil, speaking of Jesus, and if you were healed, you're of the devil. When he was thrown outside of the synagogue is when Jesus walked into his life and made him whole. When Jesus calls out the church at Laodicea, he then goes back and knocks on the door. You are loved. And he comes to the door as the master, knocking. And you, the servant, have the choice to open. And why? Not because he wants to yell at you, 
but because he wants to sit down with you intimately, personally, and have dinner with you. That's Jesus. Whatever you've heard, whatever you've thought, your Savior wants to sit down and eat dinner with you. And then he wants you to extend that to someone else. When I asked you earlier, meet somebody in your row and ask them how you can be a conduit with them this morning, for them this week. That's because family, we need each other. Our weeks should not be Sunday. Don't see it till Sunday. But it takes the vulnerability of Jesus knocking at the door and opening himself up and you seeing that model and following that model and saying, I am not part of the church of Laodicea because I am not self-sufficient as Darren laid out. We need each other and we need Jesus. That's the gospel. It is also how we love because it's true because it's a salve, because it meets us where we are, just like Jesus would. Pray with me, Lord. Uh, thank you for the message and the word today that, that you would enter into this building and speak through a man as Darren, and you would challenge us and invite us to a personal relationship with you that is one of freedom, that is one of being able to throw off the chains of self-sufficiency and really fall to our knees in front of you, Lord, knowing that we need you. Lord, help us walk out of here knowing that we have you, that you've given yourself to us and that we are to offer that to every person we meet, neighbor to nations. God, for the needs represented in this room today, those that were shared earlier and those that haven't been shared. God, that we would call out to you, look to you for our supply, and that we would rejoice in the blessing that comes from you when, you, when our needs are met in your way. Thank you, God, for that kind of love that is grace-filled. We didn't earn it. We can't. Because you pour yourself out, just like this song says, you pour yourself out for us. That grace offering, help us to receive it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, don't forget the info table in the back. And uh, for those of you that haven't signed up for a Conduit Underground, it's the red sheet in the back. Thank you.